This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. everyone welcome to tribe talk jim rosenhouse along with you this weekend from progressive field in downtown cleveland great to have you with us for baseball talk on the radio weekly throughout the off season and the hot stove cannot be burning any hotter than it has been this week for the cleveland indians two big trades that they have made within the last uh, 48 to 72 hours right at the tail end of baseball's winter meetings that was the deal where the Indians acquired Carlos Santana, their former first baseman. He's back in the fold. And a young first baseman outfield type, Jake Bowers from Tampa Bay. And in the process, they moved Edwin Encarnacion to the Mariners. And Yandy Diaz ended up with Tampa Bay. So a big deal there that nets the Indians both Carlos Santana and Jake Bowers. And also some financial relief as well. And they did more of the same on Friday night as they sent Yonder Alonso, who played one season here in Cleveland, hit 250 but 23 home runs and a career-high 83 runs driven in. He's been traded to the Chicago White Sox for minor league outfielder Alex Call, and the White Sox will be taking on the remainder of Alonso's contract, which runs through next season with an option for the 2020 campaign. We had a chance to catch up with Chris Antonetti, the Indians, president of baseball operations after a busy, busy week. And really, you can go back to the Jan Gomes trade about 10 days ago. The Indians have moved a lot of contracts. They've acquired some younger players. And we asked Chris how it all shakes out now when he looks back at the last 10 days or so in terms of deals. Sure. Well, stepping back a little bit, Rosie, I think we had a couple of objectives going into the offseason. First and foremost, we want to make sure that we have a contending team in 2019 a team that's capable of winning another American League Central. But at the same time, we also wanted to position the organization for success beyond 2019. So in order to do that, we sought the opportunity to fuse talent into the organization and then also manage our finances. And through this series of trades, we feel like we've been able to accomplish a few of those things. I expect there's more, more to come. Uh, in terms of our transactions this winter, but we feel like the series of moves puts us in a much better spot, both at the major league level, our minor league talent, and then our financial position moving forward. And when you do reference this year, I know some fans 
are saying, hey, you lost a, a good catcher in Jan Gomes and a power hitter in, in Edwin Encarnacion and now Yonder Alonso. What has you f feeling good, at, even at this point, with perhaps some more to come uh, in terms of player moves, feeling good about 2019? Well, I think first and foremost, starting with the catching position, we feel really good about Roberto Perez and his ability to step in and lead our pitching staff. I think we've all seen his ability to do that and how he's led our team in some of the most important games we've played over the last six years, dating back to the 2016 postseason. And in which Jan had been injured or wasn't available, Roberto, Roberto did a really good job there and has earned the trust of our pitching staff. So He'll get more opportunities now uh, in 2018 than he has in the past, and hopefully he can take advantage of them. And then on the, you know, with respect to the other positions, we feel that we've added two really productive players in Carlos Santana and Jake Bowers that can help us uh, help our offense and that they're more um, versatile and maybe more complete players than the players we, we traded away. So this will allow us more versatility and flexibility in our roster. And we feel like, they're they're both very good major league players that will contribute for us. Chris Antonetti joining us following a very busy week for the Tribe. I know one of the themes in Las Vegas during the, the winter meetings, uh, not necessarily coming from you, but from the outside, uh, Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer, uh, trade discussions, rumors, things like that. Uh, do, do the events of the last couple of days, the moves that you've made, does that change in any way what may, may or may not happen with them or how you approach how you view uh, their roles on the team in the future now? I don't think so, Rosie. I think, again, there's been a lot of written about that and speculated about it, but uh, I think we've been consistent in what we said, that our responsibility is to listen to see how other teams value our players. And if there's a, an opportunity for a trade that we think makes us better moving forward, we'll explore it. But that's always had been the criteria that we use. And you know, we'll continue to use that as we move forward. I think what these moves do is they do create enough financial flexibility for us moving forward that now we're in a position of strength that we can just evaluate those opportunities as they come along. When you look at uh, the most recent trade, Yonder Alonso going to the White Sox, not often that uh, you trade with a divisional opponent. Any extra challenges there or apprehension there when, when you do go down that road with a divisional opponent? You're always mindful of it when you're trading a player within the division, but our responsibility is to do the best deal that makes sense for the Indians and this is the one that, that lined up for us. And Rick Hahn actually is a friend of mine. It's easy easy for us to deal with. We haven't overlapped on value when it comes to players in the past, but uh, this transaction was relatively smooth, and um, and we're, we're excited to be able to get it done. That's Indians president of baseball operations, Chris Antonetti, following a busy weekend. And if you listen closely there, the Indians uh, clearly are not done in terms of making changes to their roster as they try and really uh, hone in on what they need to make 2019 another successful year on the field. Well, we hope you can stay with us. Coming up later on in the show, we will visit with an old friend of the program, Jordan Bastion, who for many, many seasons, eight years in total, was a beat reporter for the Tribe on Indians.com. He's moving on, going back home to Chicago. He will now work a similar beat for the Chicago Cubs. We'll hear from Jordan in a little bit. But when we come back, it's our weekly Game of the Week, a look back at some of the great games of 2018. Carlos Carrasco front and center on this week's edition of the Game of the Week, and uh, we hope you can stay with us. We'll have that next as we continue with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. 
And last week, the Indians were able to sign their stellar starting pitcher, Carlos Carrasco, to a contract extension. And Carrasco is the focus of this week's Game of the Week segment. I'll look back at some of the great games of 2018. And certainly for Carrasco, there may not have been a better all-around performance than his work on an afternoon in May in Milwaukee, an interleague battle against the Brewers. The Indians had come in a game over 500. The Brewers, on their way to a postseason appearance, were really starting to put it together at 21-15 and 15 coming in. Carrasco was 4-1 and one at the time. His mound opponent was Junior Garrett. And again, this would be a day that would not soon be forgotten by Carlos Carrasco. It started out with some solid pitching on both sides as the game stayed scoreless through three, and Carrasco was truly on top of his game early on. Now the payoff pitch to Lorenzo Cain. Swing and a miss. Carrasco challenged him with the mid-90s fastball and struck him out. Well, these two pitchers today look sharp. Guerra has struck out six. Carrasco has struck out five, and we are scoreless after three. The Indians got on the board in the fourth inning as Jose Ramirez led off the inning with a double. Then it was Michael Brantley getting things rolling for the Indians. The set by Guerra. Here's his 2-1. Swung on, ground ball near the middle on through. Base hit center field. Rounding third, heading for home is Ramirez. He will score, and Michael Brantley delivers. The Tribe takes a 1-0 lead. Now there it is, snapping the 0 for 13 with an RBI single. And Brantley has now driven in 18 on the season. Yonder Alonzo followed with a double. And then Tyler Naquin stepped in and delivered in a big way. Here comes his 3-2. Swung on, and there's a high fly ball. Deep right field. Way back there. Home run, Naquin! A three-run bomb from Tyler Naquin. And the Indians have that big inning they're looking for. Four-nothing Tribe. Tyler Naquin with his second home run on the season. Now with nine runs driven in. And that was an outstanding at-bat for Naquin. Got the count full. And then got a pitch that he could handle. And he drove it into that second deck in right. It stayed 4-0 until the 7th. That's when Francisco Lindor really laid into one. Now the 2-1 pitch. Lindor with a drive into deep right. Way, way out of here. Into the second deck and two-thirds of the way up the second deck. 5-0 Indians. Oh, my goodness. Nobody tried to catch that bomb. They all tried to get out of the way. Francisco Lindor hammering his second home run in this series. A no doubt about it bomb to the second deck in right. Five nothing Indians and did he tee off for his 10th home run of the year on a fastball right down the middle of the plate. Carrasco allowed a run in the bottom half of the seventh but was back out there looking strong in the eighth. Carrasco's pitch, a swing and a weak chopper to short. Wow. Lindor gloves, throws, and he gets him. My goodness gracious. Carlos Carrasco only had to make six pitches that inning. He's had 96 pitches through eight, and the Indians with a 5-1 to one lead on the Brewers after eight. And then in the ninth inning, a couple of unlikely feats. The first, 
from catcher Roberto Perez. Catcher Roberto Perez facing Jorge Lopez, and he bangs one inside the bag at first, down the right field line, headed for the corner. By the time Santana tracks it down, Perez is around second. He's going to try for a triple. There's no relay throw because the cutoff man, Hernan Perez, went to throw to third and dropped the ball. And Roberto Perez has his first triple of the year. And the Indians have a big insurance run at third on Roberto Perez's third major league triple. And again, National League Park, interleague play, and the Indians manager, Terry Francona, had a decision to make in the ninth inning. Would he allow Carrasco to hit and then finish the game in the bottom half of the ninth inning? Well, he stuck with his starting pitcher, and here's what happened. Carrasco won for 15 lifetimes swinging the bat in the major leagues. The pitch. Swung and ripped to left. He's got an RBI hit. His first major league RBI. Carrasco lashes a single to left. It's 6-1 to one Indians here in the ninth. I think the Indians want that ball. And the Indians with a triple from Roberto Perez and an RBI single from Carlos Carrasco have a 6-1 to one lead. Then in the bottom half of the ninth, Carrasco finished off a gem. Now the 2-2. Swing and a miss. Ball game. Carlos Carrasco with a breaking ball strikes out Shaw. It gives him 14 strikeouts. His second highest total ever in the big leagues. So the Indians avoid a winless road trip and get a dominant start from Carrasco and beat the Brewers today 6-2. to two. The next day, we caught up with Carlos Carrasco on Indians warm-up, and he talked about his big base hit and another dominant pitching performance. You know what? Uh, for the first three innings, I didn't find myself. Uh, I feel so tight. I don't know if it's a noon game or something like that. But I figured out I came back after the uh, after the third inning and talked to Roberto. Hey, let's let's do this. Then uh, I don't know what I did, and I went over there. And I ended up throwing complete game. But I think the more important, uh, we won the game, and that's what he won. And I think uh, that was really good that day, uh, pitching, hitting, and everything. And is that just part of, of growing as a major league pitcher? I mean, you're a veteran now, but do you still learn from each start when when things maybe? Don't go as planned originally. Yeah, yeah, you you're right. Uh, I learn from every star, every bullpen, because uh, every day you're not gonna be the same guys, and sometimes your staff is not gonna be there. So after a bad game, a good game, so you learn the good team, the bad team you did that day, and uh, you you bring the good team to to the next game, the bad team just kind of practice more to know uh, to do to not do that in uh, uh, the game. You mentioned Roberto helping you out. Jan Gomes also excellent defensive catcher. What can those guys mean to a pitcher, be it you or Corey Kluber, whoever in that starting rotation from game to game? You know what? It's going to be really good. Like you mentioned, Roberto Perez and Gomez. Whoever is catching over there, I feel fine. Those guys follow the game really good. Uh, Gomes and uh, Roberto, those, those guys are really good. Uh, you know, for Kluber... Uh, I think it's something, uh, you know, different. He he has to most move on the ball. And uh, for those guys over there, back there, 
no matter what, if it's Roberto or, or Gomez, they're going to do the job and that they're going to take care of us. Uh, they, they always do the best for us and for them too, So and for the team. Carlos Carrasco joining us, Indians pitcher. And it's important to talk pitching, but enough of that. Let's talk hitting. Uh, RBI single for you in your last at-bat. You look like a hitter up there. Tell us about the at-bat and how satisfying that was. All right. Uh, the, f- uh, the first two, I just want to hit the ball so hard. But I got in, I uh, strike him out. And uh, the another one on the third one, I uh, ground ball to short stop. They jammed my hand. I still sore uh, today. Then um, on the next one, uh, Tito told me, don't hit. Just wait in there. If you got to uh, walk, it's good. If you got to strike up, you just be there. First pitch on the on the bottom of the night. Roberto hit a triple. Okay. What am I going to do here? I'm not supposed to burn here. I'm man on third. All right. Uh, first strike. I saw that ball kind of up a little bit. Okay, this is. I think this is gonna be the best, and uh, I just hit it, and I got a base hit in RBI too. So, at the same at the same time, so throwing uh, you know a complete game and uh, help uh, the team uh, do some run too. That's 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 unbelievable. You don't get to do it often. Do you enjoy hitting? I didn't job. Yes, I didn't every day. Before that game, I think I hit in the cage like five times. Uh, I can't wait for that for that game. But you know what? It's something different for us because we play in the American League. So it's kind of, when I saw that base hit, it's kind of enjoy myself. A good day all around. Carlos, thanks for coming by. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. So there it is, a look back at one of the great games of 2018. An Indians win in Milwaukee in May. But the story that day was Carlos Carrasco with his first major league hit and a complete game win. Stay tuned. More to come after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland. And we switch gears now, and we are joined by Jordan Bastian, a longtime friend of the program, longtime beat reporter for the Indians on Indians and MLB.com, but no longer heading into next season. He has uh, traded. He's been traded or maybe signed as a free agent, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. But uh, Jordan will be working uh, as the Cubs beat reporter for MLB.com and Cubs.com. And uh, Jordan, certainly uh, I know a, a big deal for you because it's moving home of sorts, but uh, it sounds like mixed emotions uh, as you really grew to enjoy Cleveland and the Indians beat. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, Cleveland and the Cleveland area quickly became home for us. Um, you know, my kids have grown up here, and, you know, they, they're Indians fans, and they, you know, just – I think the people here in Northeast Ohio, you know, welcomed us right away. People in our town, people with the Indians working down there. And, you know, my family kind of envisioned this as where we were going to be, you know, for the long run. Um, We had no plans of leaving. Uh, We were happy here and this was home. And I think I always thought it was strange that any other place besides Chicago where I grew up um, could be considered home, but, it did not take long for it to feel like that here. So, you know, this was an unexpected move, uh, you know, eight years here. I've really grown to love my job and the people I work with. And, 
uh, obviously awesome memories as a reporter during this time period in Indians history, going from, you know, the, the tough times in 2011 and 12 to Terry Francona's arrival and kind of the, the renaissance of the franchise all the way up to the world series and what they've been able to do over the last few years. It's been incredible to be, uh, in that press box and to be able to tell the stories that have come out of this, this time period. And yeah, I was looking forward to continuing that, but, um, when the opportunity arrived, arrived to kind of bring my family back to my wife's in my home and, uh, where most of our relatives are, uh, I think, it was sort of an opportunity we couldn't pass up just on the personal side of things. It, you know, I mean, I know it, it pains Indians fans, as I've seen on my Twitter account, that of all the teams I've, I'm have i going to, it's the Cubs, of course, right? Uh, but that's where, you know, the bulk of my wife's family is, and I have a lot of family and friends still there. And Those holiday commutes are going to get a lot shorter now. We, You know, we just finished a five-hour commute for Thanksgiving uh, there and back you know, no longer will that be part of our family equation. So that, that was the main motivator behind the move. Um, other than, you know, just having a chance to cover the Cubs, which was the team that I grew up for, grew up rooting for when I was young. I'm not, you know, Indians fans don't need to take that the wrong. I wasn't sitting there in the press box rooting for the Cubs during the world series, but the Cubs were the team that I, I loved when I was a kid and were the reason I pursued, uh, you know, the job that I have today. I think we've touched on it a little bit over the years, just how uh, your business has changed uh, in terms of what a reporter does, and then right. maybe how they relate to fans. And you mentioned telling, mentioned telling the stories of of the Indians' resurgence uh, the past several seasons. Were you at all surprised? You mentioned Twitter and some of the fans giving you the business about about going to the Cubs, <laughs> but yeah. but just the fact I, I'm going to say 20 years ago, a sports writer would have really no idea what what the fans thought of him right but i just thought the outpouring of of well wishes was was really nice for you and were you surprised by that at all and and maybe just how our business has changed that you can actually get that feedback from people yeah i think that's a cool part of the job and i've always loved interacting with fans who uh who want to interact in that positive way and discussing the the game of baseball and you know asking questions and you know us sort of being the the, the voice between the the team and the fans, the, you know, fans can give us questions and we can look at it and say, do we need to pursue asking it to the front office? I mean, that's something that didn't exist, you know, many years ago, uh, unless there was like face-to-face contact or someone physically wrote a letter. So the instant communication is great. I love it. And I got to know a lot of the fans, not just via social media, but, um, you know, I even had some fans who I've gotten to know over the years here in Cleveland who were shooting me texts and that was cool. And I enjoyed that. And that, that is, that's a cool aspect of the job, um, now where you get that, that instant communication, uh, and interaction with fans for sure. And of course, uh, they look forward to, to stories that, that indicate that, that you develop relationships with players and they will, will talk to you about some things in their background that, that maybe others would not find out just because you you spent the time to get to know them. And, and you're going to have to do that again now. You were here <laughs> yeah. for eight years. And uh, eight years ago, uh, how did you approach it that first spring training with the Indians to try to get to know the Cody Allens and Michael Brantleys and, and Jason Kipnis's and, and others along the way? Yeah, I think it was a unique time when I came in. Um, 
that was Chris Antonetti's first year as the GM. Um, obviously, he's been promoted to uh, even higher standing now. Um, but it was really sort of kind of a transitional phase for the franchise where you had him moving into more responsibility on the, the baseball operations side. Um, and then within the team, you had a lot of younger players. You know, obviously there were some veterans uh, in the mix then. You know, the Travis Hafners and Sizemores were kind of the end of the, the bridge to the previous era. But then you had these the young minor leaguers coming up. You had young players like Jason Kipnis and Michael Brantley. And, um, you know, a couple years away from seeing guys like Kluber and yeah, you know, you went through sort of growing up with the players and that core group that now is reaching a, another transitional phase where they are getting older and looking like it's there's a new era of younger players that are kind of becoming the core guys, the you know Lindors and Ramirez, and so I think I kind of came over to the Cleveland uh, beat at a really good time for a reporter. Because I kind of, like I said, I kind of grew up with the the players who grew into the core group and got to know them from breaking into the big leagues all the way up through becoming veterans and becoming leaders and all-stars and award winners. And you know, I think that was kind of fun to see that transformation. And now I think this will be a little different because I'm joining a very established uh, beat and Cubs team um, that I'll be covering so I think that'll be a little different. These guys are, you know, perennial contenders and guys who have kind of already started to make their name. So I think walking into that room and getting to know them will be a challenge. But, you know, that's a challenge I'm looking forward to. All part of the day-to-day of a beat reporter in Major League Baseball. It's Jordan Bastion. We'll take a brief timeout and then come back with more some some fond memories to be sure. And uh, we'll see if we can pin down Jordan on his top memory or two as a, a reporter on the Cleveland Indians for Indians and MLB.com. Stay tuned. More of Tribe Talk after this on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Jim Rosenhaus back with you on Tribe Talk from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Our final segment of our show, we've been joined by Jordan Bastian, who uh, for eight years had been the beat reporter for the Tribe on MLB and Indians.com, which uh, now, gosh, I'm going to say most people get their information on their favorite teams online, and uh, he's moving on to to do the same for the Chicago Cubs now, heading back home. And uh, Jordan, we we talked a little bit earlier before the break uh, about what it's been like here in Cleveland the past eight seasons. can you pin down a, a top memory or two that, that you'll take with you uh, to Chicago that, that will always live with you for a long time? Well, I still haven't recovered from the 2016 playoff run. Uh, you know, I mean, that was there. That's something that'll hang with all of us, all the beat writers uh, forever was just that whole grind from the end of the season in 2016 through um, the end of that world series, which obviously went through game seven into November and, you know, game seven seems surreal. Uh, you know, when you know you talk about things that happened in that game individually, it's like, you know, Kipnis scoring from second base on a wild pitch was like the sixth coolest thing that happened in that game. You know, so I think the memories of going through that experience, not just in terms of, uh, of watching it and, and getting to write about it, but the memories kind of carved by the reporters who went through it together, the 
you know, climbing over seats in Wrigley Field so we could get to the, the field in time after the game because the fans were, you know, packing the aisles. And we, we couldn't even, we had to get down to be on the field to do the interviews because the clubhouses are too small. And the way Wrigley is, there's all those ramps. So you don't have a great access point. So we got to a certain point, we had to physically climb over the seats so we could get down there to talk to Trevor Bauer and, and some of those guys. And, um, you know, I think there's just a lot of those little things along the way that, that I'll always remember for sure. Interesting. You mentioned game seven of the world series. And, uh, I've always been fascinated by, by the writers because our jobs over here on the radio side, you, you call the game, you describe it. And when the last out comes, you're finished. But <laughs> yeah. at, at something like game seven, my goodness, it it ends, and you have to go downstairs and and do what you do. But where do you start <laughs> after <laughs> after that? And 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 like, what's the jumping off point? And and how many different leads are you thinking about over the course oh, of the last several innings? How does that all work? Well, that what the crazy part, like when Rajay Davis hits the home run and the stadium's shaking and the press box is shaking. Now the pitch. Swung on, lined to deep left field. It is gone! You should see the celebration out of the Indians' third base dugout. It didn't compute that that had tied the game in my mind. And I had like this moment of panic because... I had a word so late in the game, I, I was pretty much had my chips all in on uh, the outcome that it looked like it was going to be. And then all of a sudden you realize everything I just wrote might just be irrelevant because that just tied the game. Uh, well, there may have been some exp- expletives flying in the press box in that moment while everyone else in the stands is cheering. We were all going, oh, no, like we got to we got to scramble here. And um, it was a good scramble, believe me. Um but yeah, and then I don't think I pulled into my driveway, my house, until 6 a.m. Um, because we had to go down there and obviously cover the the postmortem and, and everything like that, and um, and then come up and write it. It was a that was a, a wild ride from uh, that game all the way through. So many different things that happened, and um, I, I think the biggest thing that I thought was was real was great about the World Series that year. And I think this is what actually made 2017 so much of a gut punch of a, of a loss for the Indians when they were bouncing the first round was in 2016, it always stand, it always stand out to me that when we went into that clubhouse, yeah, they just lost the world series, but it was like all these players just had this feeling like, Oh my God, what did we just almost do? Like they were down so many players for injuries and, um, obviously there was the Trevor power drone incident, which was crazy. And, um, I, I remember talking to Cody Allen in that clubhouse afterwards. and It was just this prevailing feeling of like, okay, yeah, they lost. And there was that disappointment and, and that, and that was awful and they wanted to get back, but it was also, it, it was the, one of the first times you ever go in after a loss and it wasn't, it didn't feel devastating. It was, it still felt that it was a remarkable, um, journey to that world series. And I thought, that was kind of a cool experience to kind of, it didn't feel as funereal as it could have been. Um, I think that's actually what made 2017 so hard is, you know, they thought they were on the the cusp of something and, you know, it it hasn't happened yet. And uh, I think the team's still in a good spot to, 
contend for that this year and the year coming going forward, but um, it's probably going to be a little more difficult. As I mentioned, they're kind of in that another transitional phase of uh, a lot of free agents leaving and uh, the core group changing. It's going to be really interesting to watch what happens with the Indians this year for sure. Well, as you head to Chicago, uh, you'll get to know players on a, on a good basis there. Uh, how about here? Do, do you have a favorite or two that, that you really enjoyed? Uh, maybe not even just covering, but but uh, just checking in with each day over the course of the long season. Well, I I will say, and this won't surprise anyone listening who's followed the Indians for the last few years, Josh Tomlin is, is the first guy that comes to mind. He was a dream for reporters um, in terms of being available, in terms of being insightful, in terms of being a tremendous story of a non-prospect who had to fight for everything he had, and then is pitching in the World Series um, with his dad watching from a wheelchair. I mean, there was from the story to the person. Um, I mean, he was probably will always be one of my favorites from my years of covering the Indians. And true to his nature, he was the first player to text me congratulations when the news came out um, that I had switched uh, switched roles. So I thought that was kind of fitting. That it, of course Josh Tomlin was the first player to reach out. Um, I thought that was cool, but you know, there's so many, I mean, there's so many guys over the years. I really enjoyed, um, especially the last few years, getting to know Trevor Bauer and discussing baseball in a way uh, with him that you don't get with a lot of other players. He kind of views it from a much different perspective, uh, than a lot of players. And I saw, I enjoyed that element, especially cause I, as people know from reading my stuff, I enjoy the analytical side of things. Um, and then just, you know, Kipnis was great as he grew into a leader in that room. Um, him and Cody Allen kind of stand out as guys who became sort of the the voice for the pulse of that clubhouse. You know, if things were going bad or if things were going good, you knew you could talk to Cody Allen or Jason Kipnis and kind of really get uh, a non-cliche, uh, just reality check for the way things were in that room. Um, and then if I kind of flash back to a previous era, guys like Shelly Duncan, Chris Perez kind of stand out. And then just from a writing standpoint, lately, uh, watching Lindor and Jose Ramirez and those guys was just, uh, that's a writer's dream as well. You know, guys of that sort of not only caliber of player, but big personalities and as much fun to to watch behind the scenes as they are to watch on the field. Um, so those just off the top of my head are guys that, guys that stand out. And then obviously uh, Terry Francona covering him. Um, that's a reporter's dream as well. And we were in a great situation with him. Those pregame and postgame sessions could be really entertaining and fun. And when you're on the road, you just wanted to keep him talking as much as possible because you got funny quotes, great insight. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people with the Indians will probably joke that they're going to retire when he's not around anymore. <laughs> you know, so at least I'm going. I think Joe Madden is going to be pretty entertaining in Chicago, but it's it's going to be tough to beat uh, having the opportunity to, to cover Francona for all these years. A lot of memories, to be sure, and uh, the great thing is, Jordan, you're still in baseball, so I know we'll see you and be able to read your work uh, as time goes by uh, reporting on the Chicago Cubs. Thanks so much for, for your friendship and help along the way over the years uh, on a lot of occasions, and uh, best of luck to you in Chicago. All right, thanks, Rosie. That's Jordan Bastian, now the beat reporter for the Chicago Cubs on MLB.com, eight years as the Indians beat reporter for MLB.com. I'll certainly miss Jordan 
along the way. But uh, as mentioned, we will see him down the road to be sure. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll keep it rolling with our hot stove shows throughout the holiday season. So join us next weekend once again when we join you from right here at Progressive Field. Until then, special thanks as always to Brian Matze for his work in helping to put together this week's show, especially our Game of the Week segment, and Anthony Alford as well for his good work back at our network studios. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.